Welcome to Create Your Own Light, where we harness our past, we embrace our future, and learn to conquer the roadblocks along the way together. I'm your host, Travis Howes. Let's get on with it. This episode is brought to you by YourWelder.com. YourWelder.com is an online directory of mobile welders. Whether at your home or at your industrial processing plant, we come to you. Our community of mobile welders can repair anything from the neighbor's mailbox that you just backed into or the cat bulldozer sitting on your job site. YourWelder.com is a directory of highly skilled professionals willing to help you on your job site on your timetable. YourWelder.com screens all of their welders using tools like photos from social media apps such as Instagram, Parler, and Facebook, even face-to-face meetups. YourWelder.com was built by actual industry welding experts who actually perform this type of work on a daily basis. And here's the best part. They're veteran-owned and operated. So go check them out at YourWelder.com. And also feel free to check them out on social media where I'll include their links in the show notes. What a beautiful morning it is here at the farm, man. I just got back into town last night. Just got back from Apex, North Carolina. Uh, I believe the last episode dropped right before I went to Johnson City, Tennessee. So I have a lot to talk about today, man. We, um, I'm just coming off of five really strong events, really great events with firefighters, first responders, dispatchers, and spouses uh, from Johnson City, Tennessee, and then um, right there in Apex, North Carolina. And I can't say I can't say enough great things about the hosts there, man. They were phenomenal. They were more than welcoming, um, and. and you know, two really cool things happened. One was this, the Johnson City events, I had two events in Johnson City, and they were completely voluntary. <clears throat> what the what happened was Johnson City Fire Department, they opened it up to their fire depart, entire fire department, okay? And they said, whoever wants to come, come. They opened it up to the dispatchers and spouses. They opened it up to outside agencies. Whoever wants to come, come. And you know what happened? A lot of people came out, both events. And it was beautiful because... because of this, it's nice to see that so many people on their days off when they can be anywhere else in the world, they come out to these events because they want to learn about mental wellness and they want to learn about resiliency and leadership. This is on their day off people. And that's, what's the beautiful thing. And it's in the morning. It's not like it's in the evening. Most of these people have work. So they had to schedule their schedules around this and they came out and we had an amazing event, two amazing events in uh, Johnson City. And I, I, I'm, I came back home. I was home for, I don't know, four or five days. And then, boom, I'm right back in Apex, North Carolina, working with the firefighters in Apex, North Carolina. Now, that event was just for Apex Fire and uh, some of the police department came out. Here's the crazy part about that. They, uh, Apex is right outside of Raleigh, North Carolina. And they made this mandatory training for the apex firefighters. And not only did they make it mandatory, they, they made it mandatory on their day off. So you would think I I was like, Oh man, here we go. These firefighters are going to come in. They're going to be mad because they're being forced to come in here, learn about mental health on their day off. Because I'm going to tell you a lot of, a lot of old school dudes like me, we didn't believe in PTSD, mental health, all this stuff. We didn't think it was a real thing. So if you drug a bunch of knuckle dragon dudes like me, down to a mandatory event on my day off, we would not have been happy about it. But let me tell you something. The apex firefighters could not have been more welcoming. I experienced a, a, a sense of professionalism that blew me away. 
not only were they welcoming, when these guys came in from their on their day off, almost every single one of them greeted me at the door when they were walking in and shook my hand, introduced themselves, and said, thank you for being here. Nobody instructed them to do that. It was just the the kind of dudes that they are and the kind of women that they are. They they were phenomenal. And to go up against something like that and be welcomed like that, man, it was it was a, definitely a breath of fresh air because when you do mandatory training sometimes it's not it's not as exciting. But they were super welcoming and it was made it super comfortable for me. It was super comfortable for them. We had a laid back environment. And we got after it and we had some really good training and I got a lot of really good questions at the end and afterwards, because sometimes when, you know, people, they want to ask questions in private and I'm going to get into one of the, one of the best questions that's been asked, um, yet. And it, it's not going to be this, this crazy question that's going to blow everybody away, but I can tell that this brother, this police officer has problems with this issue and he didn't want to let that be known in the middle of this room of, of firefighters and police officers. So he waited until the crowd died down afterwards and he came up and talked to me about it. And I'm going to tell you what that question was and tell you how we can, we can handle that here in a little bit. I talk a lot about perspective and through these episodes, I talk about the universe and, you know, I'm not trying to be, be all weird about it and everything, but I, I, I really believe in my life, life has shown me it's cards so many times. And every time I've tried to fight the deck, it ends up causing me more strain and stress. So I've just realized to really roll with it, no matter what it is. And I'm going to tell you a a quick story. Maybe it might not be quick. In the last episode, I told you I bought a truck. I went out I needed a new truck, blah, 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 whatever. You ended up getting a truck. I've been waiting to get a boat for a while um, because I wanted to wait to get a boat when my daughters were of age that they could really start enjoying the boat. And my father got a boat when we were when I was about eight years old. And so my oldest daughter's eight, and, and now's the time to get a boat and everything. So I went out, and I found a boat right before I went to Johnson City. I found the perfect boat. Now, I'm going to tell you why it was perfect. It was a used boat, and it had low hours on the motor. The motor, it was a, uh, I want to say it was a 200, um, 200 on the back of that thing. And it was a good motor. It only had 58 hours. And the, why I liked the boat so much, it was a popular boat. It was a Grady White, okay? But it was owned by a doctor in North Carolina who kept it stored inside of a building at his farm. Well, he had a secondary residence down in Charleston. So when he would come to Charleston, he would tow that boat down here, put it in the water, go out for a little bit and then bring it back to North Carolina. And it would sit up for another year. Well, the thing was several years old. It had 58 hours on it. That's a, looks like a brand new boat. So what happened was this, I stumbled across the boat because I was looking for boats online. And then I ended up going outside of Charleston, about 30 minutes outside of Charleston to a boat dealer. They actually just got the boat that day from this from this gentleman. He he gave it to the boat dealer on consignment, and he wanted to sell it. Well, they hadn't put it online yet, and that's the only reason that boat wasn't gone. And I just happened to stumble on it. I liked it. I put down a deposit, a very hefty deposit on this boat, and I said, look, I'll give you the rest when I get back from, from out of town pending a sea trial. So you got you got to take these things out on the water to see how they do, right? So they held this boat for me. I get back. Turns out people are all over this boat. They're wanting to get this boat. Um, I schedule my entire week 
I got a lot of stuff I got to get done when I get back. So I schedule my entire week around taking this thing on a sea trial. I try to, when I try to talk to people about um, purchasing major, major items, you got to really be able to exercise restraint and control the impulse because the desire to have something that you know that you can get, it is very, very hard to walk away from things when, uh, when, when you have the opportunity to get them. Even when you're looking at things that might not be right, to be able to override that, that impulse takes a lot of restraint and a lot of control. Now listen, we're going to come back to this talking about that impulse and that restraint when it comes to anger. I want to talk about that later, but right now we're going to talk about it from a standpoint of doing something to make you feel good, like a happiness. You got to exercise happiness restraint too because if it's not right, it's not right. I'd already had a week to sit on this boat and for it to marinate, and I couldn't wait to get back in town to get this thing. So we get out, we take it on a sea trial, and let me tell you something. It was phenomenal. This thing was an amazing boat, but it had one issue, and the issue was this. The electric trim on the motor, for because it had been sitting up for, for a little while, it didn't work that well. Like it would, it would come up fine, but when the uh, let me tell you what for those of you that don't know what electric trim is, that's the thing that controls the big motor in the back, going up and going down. Well, when it would go down, it would start bouncing. Now that can be from a few different things. There could be air in the line, it could be low on hydraulic fluid, or the seals could be going bad on the um, the tilt motor itself. And if the seals are going bad, that could be a costly repair. I already knew this was going on with the boat, and I talked with the dealer before we even took it on the sea trial, and I said, look, I'm going to buy this boat, but my concern, the only concern I have is that trim, and I'm not going to buy this boat if that trim is not fixed. Dealer looks me dead in the face and says, look, man, it's going to be fixed. Either we're going to take care of it or the owner's going to take care of it. It will not come out of your end. I was like, perfect. That's, that, that's great. Let's take it out. So we take this thing out. It runs like new money. We bring it back. They already have a hefty deposit. Now, what what they know is this. I'm already emotionally and financially invested into this. It, do you know how hard it is to walk away from something that you're emotionally and financially invested in? And people that are selling things, especially professional sellers, they know this and they exploit that. So we go back, we sit down, I look the man dead in the face, and I said, look, I'm going to run to the bank and get a certified cashier's check because I already called the bank. They said that the, the wire may not clear in time, so I wouldn't be able to get the boat that day. So I was like, I'm going to run down there, grab your certified cashier's check. It's going to take me about an hour and a half to get back. And I looked him dead in the face, and I go, are we sure that this is going to be taken care of, that electric trim? He even wrote it in the contract, all right? He wrote it. So I leave and I go get the check. I come back an hour and a half later. I have the check in my hand. He sticks his hand out to grab the check from me. I look him dead in the face before I hand him that check and I hold it. I pull actually pull it back and I go, do you have confirmation that we're going to fix that? Who's going to fix it? Are you or the owner? Did you call the owner? Well, now this, now this dude starts backpedaling. He's like, well, Man, I don't know. You know, I tried to call the owner. He hasn't called me back. And we're certainly, it's certainly not coming out of our end. So I got to wait and see. And so now he started singing a different tune. And what he was banking on was that I would overlook it when I pulled up, had that check for the final um, 50% because I put a 50% deposit on it. And when I pulled up with that check for the remaining balance, he figured that he would prey on my, uh, 
on my weakness being that I was emotionally and financially invested and that I would just overlook it and say, hey, give me the boat, give me the boat, give me the boat. And I looked the man dead in the face and I said, well, you're telling me something different. And I showed him that contract and I looked at right there and I go, you're telling me something different than this on here. And I don't like the way that that feels. He goes, well, man, I don't really know what to tell you. I said, I know what to tell you. I said, give me my 50% deposit back and I'm, and I'm heading out. And the guy looks me dead in the face with his mouth wide open and says, what do you mean? You don't want the boat? And I said, no, I don't want the boat. Now I don't even want it. it and I don't want it even if you're going to fix it now because I don't roll like that. You don't backpedal on your promises. You're going to make good on what you said you're going to make good on. And the dude was blown away. He went to the front office. He told them that they had to write a check for, for that deposit. And they already, man, look, that, that money for them was already cleared. It's been sitting. I gave it to him a week ago. You know, they were so that they didn't like writing that check, but they wrote that check and I took it and I left. I walked out of there. And what I'm getting at is this. I'm not saying I'm the expert at buying things and playing the whole game, but I do know this. It is very, very hard sometimes to control whatever emotion that you're having. Your natural reaction to want something, to override that and to have enough discipline to say, you know what? This ain't good for me because I knew this. If I would have bought that boat, and that, that wouldn't have been fixed. I would have bought a used boat, used motor, and now I potentially faced a problem later. And when we were talking about guilt in that last episode, you want to talk about guilt, mess around and go buy a boat that starts breaking down on you. And now you got to deal with the guilt of using your hard-earned money to do that. And you can't take your family out or your family's not getting to... Uh, getting to have uh, different things in life because you got to spend two, $3,000 to fix a damn boat. You, you see what I'm getting at here? If you listen to the last episode, that'll make sense. Um, and that's episode 68. So here's what I want to talk about today versus, <clears throat> let me take that back. I don't want to talk about just one thing. I want to talk about a lot of stuff, all right? I want to talk about hypervigilance and anxiety and how it, it doesn't really ever go away. You know, I, I, you can learn to manage it. You can learn to control it, but I don't think it ever goes away. Once you, once you've seen too much and you've experienced too much, you can't forget where you've been. I don't care how hard you try. You just can't forget it. And I'll tell you like this. I was having dinner at, um, in Johnson city. And I went to this uh, Mediterranean place and it was a nice day. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go sit outside. And it's, I can't remember the name of this place cause it was phenomenal. I would give it a plug here if I could, but it was right downtown in Johnson city across from the Yeehaw beer place, whatever that place is, the, the Mediterranean place. And I'm sitting there outside and I'm having dinner and I'm looking at these old buildings that are around. And I was imagining the people that had built those buildings. And then I was imagining these buildings, if they were on fire, like what what we would do if people were like coming out of this window or that window, or if we needed to make entry through a window, because that's what firefighters do. We sit around and pre-plan in our minds. But then something struck me as I was looking at these buildings. I saw all of the windows were closed, every single one of them, except one on the top floor was wide open. And I could see the curtain flapping in the breeze a little bit. Just every once in a while, it would move gently light left to right. And all of a sudden I felt threatened and I'm sitting there trying to enjoy my lunch and I was glued on this window the entire time because in my mind, that was also the perfect place for a shooter. That was also the perfect place for a barrel to come out of a window and to start just laying people out. And 
I started thinking, it's crazy. I started thinking about the Kennedy assassination and how the window was open there and how just something so simple, if people would notice things like that, things can be um, avoided sometimes. But then I started thinking, wait a minute, how many open windows are there in buildings across this country? And right now in this moment, at this time of day, they're everywhere and nothing bad is happening. But we build this stuff up in our heads to make it worse than it actually is, is because we understand the real threats that are out there. And that's how you can really suck the joy out of your own day. And you can miss living in a moment if you're sitting there with your family or your kids and they're having a conversation with you, but it's just background noise because you're so hyper-focused on this window. Hypervigilance does not go away. And it's exhausting. It's extremely exhausting. And it's also exhausting to those around you because I think a lot of times that they see it and even when they don't, you talk about things or why can't we do this or why can't we do that? Well, the possibility of this happening or the possibility of that happening. And then people look at you like they have two heads, like you have two heads because I think I've said this in the past. The world that our families live in, most most of our families is sunshine and rainbows. But the world that we live and operate in for such a long time through our careers is a very dark, dangerous place. So you have two worlds colliding. And when two worlds collide, there's a difference of the way the difference in how you see the world. The truth is the world is actually a very beautiful place. I'm starting to see that. And I may have talked about this on other episodes because I talk about this in my class all the time that I teach. And I'm like, our spouses, for the most part, they have no clue what goes on out there because nothing bad ever happens to them and they never see anything bad happen. But we, that's all we see sometimes because we chose a career path and a profession that is dialed in on bad things. So naturally, after time in this business, our world becomes our reality and that causes the worlds to collide. And that's what causes all the uh, secondary, you know, secondary trauma and the secondary hypervigilance with families, because we've talked about secondary trauma in other episodes where you can give your trauma to other people, just like you can give your hypervigilance to people and you'll start making them very paranoid and very nervous if you're not careful. And they'll start expecting all these bad things to happen. But I tell people, look, I've been out of the emergency services for 12 years now, right? 12. And I've been all over the world multiple times in that 12 years. And you know how many bad things I've seen happen in the last 12 years? None. Not one. Not one. I actually was leaving the gym today, this morning, and I saw one man talking to another man in his car. This guy was on the passenger side, standing outside of the vehicle. The other man, I could hear him being a little bit loud. And then I saw the other man, he pulled something out of his pocket and I automatically assumed this dude's about to shoot this other dude in his car. Well, as it turns out, he was showing him something on his cell phone and they were both laughing. You see what I'm getting at? Normal people don't see that. I saw the absolute worst thing about to happen and there was no avoiding it, no stopping it. All I could think about in that moment was I need to get to my car. I need to grab my weapon because I was about three feet away from it. And I was, I was laser focused on these dudes. 
I was I was watching them because I knew that there was a gunfight was about to happen, and I needed to figure out where do I need to go? Where's my con- cover and concealment? How many rounds of ammunition do I have? Are they going to turn on me? You know, and and it's exhausting. Nothing happened, and that's the truth of of the real world out there. I know a lot of cops, man. I know a lot of cops that live like this. They're constantly watching. They have to, man. That's their survival instinct on duty. You don't get to turn that off when you're off duty. You don't get to turn it off at all. But you have to be aware of it. I will purposely now try to put myself in a situation that that I'm not normally comfortable with just to show myself, hey, dude, everything's fine. Like Everything's going to be all right. This is what I want to get at. So I didn't buy that boat, okay? And I exercised restraint. I went, I walked, went right back to the bank. I deposited all of the money back into the bank. They looked at me. They go, you're not getting that boat? I said, nope. I said, I'll get another one. And uh, I went back and started looking online. And I already had my eye on a, on a brand new boat. But I was, I don't know. I, I was going with the used boat because, you know, the used boat was a little less expensive, whatever. And I knew the whole time I should just go buy the damn brand new boat. So that's what I did. Remember I talked in the last episode about feeling guilty for doing things for yourself. I said, fuck it. That's enough. I was like, I deserve this. I'm going to go get the new boat. And I did. I walked in. I walked right to the dealership. I said, Hey man, I called yesterday about the boat. They go, yeah, we remember you. I said, let's go look at it. And we went and looked at it and it took all of about three minutes to know I'm buying this boat. And I pulled the guy to the side. We worked out a deal right there. And I said, um, I'm gonna go get you he goes, you want to finance it or what? And I said, no, I'm so I'm going to, I'm paying cash for it. I was like, so I'm going to run to the bank and I'm going to get you the full amount. Let's go ahead and get the paperwork done. When I get back, I was like, I'm pulling that boat out of here. And he looked at me and goes, you don't want to take it on a sea trial? And I go, boat's brand new, isn't it? He says, brand, it's brand spanking new. I said, no, I said, I don't need to take it out. Then if it's brand new, it's under warranty. The motor's under warranty. We're good to go. And I said, what I will ask you to do though, is, um, do you have a, you have a 55 gallon drum that you can run the motor in? Because you know, a lot of people do that when they have boats. And he says, yeah, I said, we'll have it set up when I get back. I said, just make sure that motor starts and runs. And I like, other than that, we have no problems. So that's what we did. I came back, I gave him the check for the full amount, boat bought and paid for, put the, he put the damn motor in the drum. We ran it. We're good to go. And that was it. I bought the boat and I got the one that I wanted. I didn't get the one that I wanted to settle for. I got the one that I wanted. And that's really important. I think a lot of people in life, they'll get things that they'll just settle for things. And if they either just work a little bit harder or make a couple of extra better hard decisions, like uh, discipline decisions, they can get the things that they want versus the things that they need to settle for in life. And a lot of people end up settling. And that was a major thing for me to go out and do that. That was huge because I don't do shit like that. So anyway, here's the story. Get the boat. All right. I drag it home that day. And I remember when I was young, when my daddy pulled the boat up to the house for the first time, I wish we would have had videotape of this because my dad pulled this old raggedy ass beat up boat and had an old used motor on the back that was falling off. But you would have thought that he bought, he brought a damn battleship up to the house. It was just a little dinky boat. And when I saw him pulling that boat down a dirt road, I was jumping up and down. I was so excited. My daddy, he got there. He had his chest out, and uh, he had that boat hooked to his work truck. And honestly, we we lived in the trailer park at the time, and I he I know he felt like he made it, and I felt like man, we made it. We got something here because all at the time all we had was old trampoline in the backyard and <laughs> a couple of used cars. So dad has his boat right, and we go out. 
I want to say we went out that night or the next night. We went out. I'm pretty sure it was that night. It was a school night. I talk about growing up in the river with my father and, and he would take me out on school nights and we go shrimping so we could sell shrimp to make extra money and stuff. And I would end up going to school after being out in the river with him till three, four o'clock in the morning and then I'm falling asleep in class and the teachers would call and they're like, why is Travis is falling asleep? My dad's like, I'll take care of that. And he'd hang up the phone. He's like, shit, ain't nothing I can do. Anyway, back to his, his boat story. So my daddy, he had this boat and what happened was this. We went out in a boat the first time. And we, I'll never forget this. We were in a, thing, a place called Jarvis Creek off of the Calabogie Sound. And I, I think I was eight. I swear I was eight. In the damn boat at like two in the morning, it broke down. We're out there gigging and shrimping. We're doing, no, we were gigging. Excuse me. We we're gigging. We were sticking flounder. And uh, the boat broke down. And it's just me and my dad out in the middle of nowhere. And it's dark. And all the stars are out. And I start crying. I mean, like a little bitch. I mean, like a bitch, I start crying and I never forget. My daddy was like, what the hell's wrong with you? And I'm like, we're never going to go back home and all this. He's like, stop fucking crying. And I think my dad thought I was going to grow up soft or whatever. The true story is I was 25 years old when this happened. But for, for this story's sakes, I'm going to say I was eight. All right. So you believe what you want. Um, anyway, some man ends up stopping. He ends up towing us back to the land and we, or excuse me, we got the boat started. My dad gets us back to the land and. So what my dad ended up having to do the next day, he paid $500 for this boat, all right? And this was way back then in the 80s. $500 for this boat. The motor shit to bed. Didn't work anymore. And he had to go out and spend $5,000 back then to get a new motor. So he ended up buying a $500 boat for $5,000. So case in point, don't settle for shit. Get what you want. Pay the extra money. Work a little harder. Have some discipline to put yourself in a position to get the things you want, not the things you have to settle for. I'm, I'm going to stay on this hypervigilance thing and, and how exhausting it is because so we get the other day when, when I pull the brand new boat back to the house, I got a video of my daughters when they pulled up, man, they were going ape shit. They were going crazy. They, they, they had no idea that I was getting this boat. They came up, immediately jumped out of the minivan when their mama pulled up, ran over to the boat jump in the boat. They start putting their life jackets on. I told them we're going out. They couldn't wait. So we're all excited. We hurry up. We, we take the boat down. I haul it to a, a place called Shim Creek in uh, Mount Pleasant. It's, it's right down the street from our house and we can put the boat in pretty easily. So we drop the boat in and immediately when we're in that water, my mind is in a fucking bad, bad place. I mean, a bad place. Everybody's got smiles on. We got the music on. The dogs are in the boat. I'm watching the girls. I'm watching my wife. Everybody is having fun except me. All I could think about was any and every traumatic thing that could go wrong. It was so bad. I remember driving. We're, we're, we're just idling. So you have to go really, really slow in Shim Creek. You have to go so slow because there's docks everywhere and there's boats everywhere and you don't want to be rude and cause wake, which are waves. So we're idling and all I could picture was the boat capsizing and me not being able to save everybody. And then I started thinking, if I live, I would never forgive myself if I couldn't save everybody. And I got my girls on light with life jackets on. And I was like, what happens if they fall over and they're trapped underneath the hull of the boat and they drown? Like, these are the things I'm thinking while we just got this new boat and we're having this beautiful experience. We start going under a little bridge. People, I'm not bullshitting. 
I started imagining, all right, if a car comes off of this bridge, so now I'm watching the bridge like very, very closely just in case. Now, this has never happened and the car has never went off this bridge, but that's what I'm talking about. Do you understand how exhausting it can be? So here's what happens. We get out of Shim Creek and now we're in the harbor of Charleston. Well, we couldn't have picked a worse day to go out on a boat because the swells are four to five feet out there in the harbor. They're white capping or maybe it's three to four, but it was rough. And it was beating us to death. You had a small channel that you have to ride in and the boat was beating us and the wind was beating us back. The tide was working against us and the boat was boom, boom and slamming down. Waves were crashing over the boat and all I could think about were my girls flying out of this fucking boat and I was so nervous and the steering wheel was soaking wet now and I am white knuckling holding the holding my grip on this thing while the boat is just taking a beating and it's a 20 something foot boat and it was still having a hard time. I couldn't see because the waves were hitting me so hard in the face. It knocked my glasses off and now I have salt water in my eyes and I can barely keep my eyes open, but I had to, because if I turn that boat sideways, we would capsize. I promise you. When we get out of the Harbor, we get into more calm waters and, and we hit another Creek and I was able to relax a little bit. And I was just like, Oh my God, I could only see the worst in that situation. My kids were loving it. Let me tell you something. They were yelling and they were, they were getting soaking wet. They were like, this is so much fun. I mean, as we're going up in the air and slamming down and the waves are coming over, look at the, look at the difference. You got a father who's experienced a ton of bad shit in his life. And all he can do is go into protection mode and see the bad while my kids are having the time of their life, their first, first boat experience with me in our, in our own personal boat, I was killing that. Instead of me just laughing and having fun with them and, hey, no big deal, I could only see the bad going wrong. Last year, last year in Charleston, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a quick story, and I could only see this happen. And so when we're, in the, when we're in the calmer water, we open the boat up. We're doing like 40 miles an hour in, in the intercoastal waterway. And in the intercoastal waterway, sometimes there's sandbars. There'll be, um, there'll be oyster beds in different places and stuff. And you kind of got to know what we call local knowledge. You got to know where, where things are. Last year, there was an incident where my friend has a, had a coworker and he had his wife and kids in the boat. His wife was on the bow of the boat. They ran their boat across an oyster bed. The guy didn't know the guy driving didn't know that this oyster bed. Well, what happened was they were going so fast it threw the mom out the boat. She went underneath the boat and the, she got caught underneath the prop and the prop hit her right in the face, split her head in half, ripped her brains out of her skull and her bathing suit was strapped, uh, caught around the motor. All right. She was stuck. She was dead, dead as shit right in front of her kids, right in front of her husband. They had to get out of the boat and get their mother free from underneath this motor. Well, guess what? My other friend was in a boat right next to them when it happened or right, right down the waterway. He had to come and jump in the water with this and their father. So think about how fucked up their family be. All right. So these things happen. Boats are very dangerous. Go back to me. I'm hauling ass in the waterway. And all I could think about was that happening to one of my family members. I could not think about it. And the whole time, Instead of me looking around and smiling, I'm watching my I'm watching my uh, my Garmin depth depth finder. I'm watching it and just looking straight ahead and watching for any and every little obstacle in front of me. I could not 
not think about that. And I could not not think about if something else happened, what am I going to do? Where is this? How do I react to this? Do I have my knife close by in case I got to cut, uh, cut my daughters out from underneath something, you know, it's, it's fucking horrible. So then we grab the boat the next day, we come up to the river and the lake at my farm and we're out there. Poppy, she has this life jacket where there's a, uh, a piece that goes between your legs and then, and then clips up into the rest of the buckles. Well, it was unclipped and it was just hanging. And I told my wife, I said, Hey, take that and clip that up. And she said, why? I said, take it and clip it up because all I could see was it getting hung on something and me having to free her or not being able to free her. And sure enough, it, it, later on, she put her life jacket back on, didn't clip it. And she was on the boat and that thing got caught in something and she was stuck. And I stopped the boat and I go, this is what I'm talking about. Now, had that had been an emergency, it could have been very bad, but it wasn't an emergency. But what I'm getting at is when we were in that, when we were in the river at the lake, again, I'm in foreign territory. I didn't know the place that well at all. Everybody's having a good time except me. And honestly, when we got back, when we pulled that boat on the trailer, I sat back in my truck. My wife saw it. I just sat there for a second and was like, and I breathed because everything was good and everybody was okay. It's exhausting. I'm trying to do the best I can and I'm trying to give my daughters experiences and I'm trying to have fun, but man, it comes with a price. It comes with a heavy, 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 anxious price. And I wish, that's why I tell people, man, I wish that I knew what a world of sunshine and rainbows was like. My wife has never seen a bloody nose ever, right? Like a traumatic bloody nose, I should say. And I wish sometimes I could say that because I think life would be so much easier and better if you just walked out and you were like, oh, this is such a great place. There's no harm in the world, but that's not true for us. And we got to figure out a way to operate to where our world isn't so chaotic. And I do not have the answers to that because I have been working for many, many, many years to not be this way. And it still happens. I want to tell you about the the question that the police officer asked me. And this couldn't come at a more perfect time because this happened to me recently. So after my class the other day in Apex, North Carolina, this police officer, he waits patiently. And he pulls me to the side after everybody kind of goes out and he goes, Travis, man, he goes, I got, I got a question for you. And he goes, I came yesterday. Let me tell you something. This dude came to both classes. It's the same class. He came to both of them. And he he tells me, he goes, I wanted to come back today and listen to it again. And he goes, it really resonated with me. And he goes, and there's something I want to ask you. And I don't, I don't know if you have the answer for this. I said, well, just ask bro what, what you got. And he goes, When we feel ourselves getting so mad and we feel like a bomb is about to go off, how do we stop it? How do we, you know, like when a bomb technician is cutting the bombs on the movies and there's all these different wires, how do we clip the right wire at the right time to stop that thing from going off? And I looked at him and I said, bro, I said, it takes practice. And I said, if you go off every single time you want to go off, all you're doing is enabling yourself to go off every single time. And I go, you got to stop it. And I said, how you stop it really is up to you. And I said, how I stop it is I have to, I have to purposely stop, 
think about what I'm about to say, think about why I'm about to say it, and I have to think about the effect that it's going to have, not just the short term, but the long term. And it takes a good 15 to 20 seconds for me to process all of that. And then I think, is it worth what I'm about to say and do? And if the answer is no, then you cut the right, you got to cut the right cord. You got to cut the right wire. And every time I've done that, I've realized this. I'm right in doing this. I'm right in taking my time and not reacting. Is it easy? Hell no. It is one of the hardest things that I've had to do in my life because I'm very quick to tell somebody how I feel and how I think. And I've realized that's not necessarily a good thing. It's actually caused me more harm in life than it has ever caused me any good. And it has ruined more things and more relationships in my life than it has ever helped. So you got to think when you're getting at that point, ready to go off, how much restraint you have to exercise. And this goes back to what I was talking about earlier. It's no different than when you're trying to purchase something. And when you're already invested in something, if you move forward with that purchase, what is the potential blowback from that? Because now you're just doing it because you're emotionally invested in it. Now think about that. You're emotionally and financially invested, obviously in yourself and in your family. And at times when emotions run high, you don't stop and think about what you're about to say. It's going to hurt everybody, including yourself. I just experienced that. And I told them, I says, man, this just happened to me last week. Now I'm going to tell you, I'm going to finish telling you my boating story and telling you how I purposely had to deescalate a situation. And I was very proud of myself. We finished boating at the lake. We put the boat on the trailer, jump back in the truck. We pull it back to, we're heading back to the farm. All right. There's a little gas station out in the country on the way back. And they got this flag outside that says fresh hot dogs. And I was like, man, what a better way to cap off the day at the lake with my girls and my wife to stop and grab some hot dogs, a couple Gatorades. This will be their first time at the lake here. Hopefully this will be a memory. So that's what I do. I actually passed the gas station and, and, and I, I actually stopped and then turned around with this big ass boat, turned around and went back up there, pulled off the side of the gas station and stopped. We all get out. It's about to be an event. We're going in there. We're getting hot dogs. As I'm walking up, I see they have cookies in there. I was like, oh, hell yeah. The girls are like, dad, can we get Laffy Taffy? I'm like, I'm in such a good mood because nothing bad happened and we're having a good day. I said, yeah, hell yeah. I said, y'all get whatever you want. So we walk in and I look at the lady. There's two ladies working now. One lady looks at me and I can tell she's got an attitude with me even being there. I see it immediately. I am very good at reading people. And I can tell a lot about a person real quick by looking at them. And by the way, they're looking at me. I, I shouldn't say I can tell a lot about them, but I can tell this lady didn't want us there. All right. Well, I'll look over and I don't see any hot dogs. Man, it's 3.30 in the afternoon, all right? This is in uh, on a Saturday at 3.30. So I asked the lady politely. I said, ma'am, I said, y'all still got some hot dogs? And this lady, before I could barely even finish, she goes, we're about to close that quick. And I heard, we're about to close. And all I heard was, I don't want to do anything to help you or your family because we're trying to get the fuck out of here. That's how I took that. So I looked at her and I wanted to say something nasty and I didn't. I stopped. I looked at my girls. I said, girls, put that Laffy Taffy down. And I looked at the lady and I said, sorry to bother you when you're about to close. Now, 
in my mind, were you fucking closed? No, you weren't even close to closing. Who closes at 3.30? They actually closed at 4. They still had 30 minutes left. What they didn't want to do is put any hot dogs back on and have to re-clean anything. So I saw that, and I looked at that lady. I said that, and we started walking out. Well, the other lady that works there, the nice, polite one, looks and goes, sir, 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 I'll get hot dogs for you and your family. I'll take care of it. I'll do it. I'll do it. And I think she might have been the owner. I'm not sure. And I said, oh, no, ma'am, we're all set. And I go, you don't ever have to worry about me stopping here again. And we walked out. And I just finished telling my wife, I go, look, anytime we go to the lake, before we went in, I go, this is going to be our store. We'll stop and we'll just get all of our shit here. We'll get all of our ice. We'll get all of our drinks. We'll do all that. And on the way back, we'll get hot dogs and stuff. I already made up my mind. That was my place. Well, walking out the door, I realized that ain't the place no more. So I'm walking out. I'm hot. I mean, I'm fucking fired up and I'm biting my tongue so bad it's bleeding in my mouth. But I know me saying anything is not going to make the situation better. So we're leaving. How about the lady runs out? The polite lady runs out of the store begging. I'm talking begging for us to come back in. Sir, 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 please come back in. Let, let me help you. And this is why I think she was the owner. She goes, she looked at me and goes, that lady hasn't helped me at all, all day. And all she's been doing is complaining. And I looked at her and I'm like, ma'am, I'm sorry. That sounds like your problem. I go, I'm never coming back here again, ever. Because that's what a piece of shit employee can do for your company and your business. I'm gonna tell you right now, if you're hiring people, I understand that we don't necessarily have the right can't hire the right people all the time and we just need help. But if you get the wrong help, that costs you business and it costs you money. So again, don't get what you have to settle for. Get what you need and want and deserve. Make sense? All right. So we get back in the truck. My girls are confused. They're like, daddy, I don't understand. And I just look back and I said, look, some people are just nasty and rude and lazy and they don't want to help other people. And I go, I'm not going to give my business to people like that. So we start going down the road. I'm not saying shit. I'm trying to just decompress, but it made me so mad and I felt so discounted and I felt like there's some things I just can't tell you what I feel and why, but we're going down a road. My wife looks at me about five minutes later. She goes, you're still thinking about that, aren't you? And I go, you fucking ain't right. I'm still thinking about that. And she had a point just by asking me that question. I knew what she was trying to say was Travis is, is over. Just let it go because you know what? It don't mean nothing. It didn't, it didn't mean anything. What? Okay. We didn't get some hot dogs and some lazy bitch got to get off work early and go back to her shitty life. Okay. And that's probably what it was. Cause she was that nasty towards me. She probably had a shitty life. She's mad at herself and she took it out on me. So anyway, we pull back up to the house. I'm trying to back the boat in. And now my girls are getting loud, right? They're getting loud in the back of the truck and I'm about to blow a gasket. And I felt it and it was coming out of my face. I was going to blow up and I stopped and I go, stop. And I looked at both of them. I said, both of y'all get out of the truck right now. And they say, yes, sir. They hop out of the truck. I'm looking at their mom and I'm looking, she knows that I'm about to blow up. And I said, no, I need you to stay in the truck. She stayed in the truck. The girls got out. I started backing the boat back in. I had to move it around a couple different times because I had to find a new place for it to park. And I stopped it and I looked her dead in the face. I looked mama dead in the face and I said, you know what? I said, me about to blow up on those poor little girls back there. I said, that's not why I was mad. And I go, they didn't cause that. And I said, I'm still hanging on to that bullshit from that gas station. And she goes, that's exactly right. And I go, I needed you to stay in the truck so I could verbalize that and tell you that. And I'm glad I didn't blow up on them. 
Because what I'm getting at is this, and this is how I answered that cop's question. Oftentimes the thing that you think pisses you off, it's not even what pissed you off. It's something that you're holding on to. It's some other bullshit that you're holding on to from another time. Something that you didn't let go, something that you stewed over, something that didn't mean any damn thing. In the grand scheme of your life, it was just a blip on the screen. And you got so fired up about it, you took it out on somebody else. Boom. That's it. Now think about how many times in life we've made other people pay for our bullshit. And think about if we just had the discipline and the restraint to be able to control ourselves in those moments, how much easier and more stress-free and how less hateful life could be. Think about that. Y'all have a good one.